with that, we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm kind of excited about this because this message, even before all of that became a reality, I was writing this message and getting excited about some of the things that Paul shares in here. And then after some conversations this week with Lighthouse and with our elders, I was like, man, this passage is right where we need to be in light of that opportunity and that door that God is opening. And so let's read together 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to start in verse 17 and we'll end in chapter 3, verse 5. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan, Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we are going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you, and that our labor might be for nothing. Would you pray with me as we consider the word of God together this morning? Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for working through Paul to establish churches in new cities and in new places. Thank you for his, his heart not to stay in one place and enjoy the, the comforts of that, but to sacrificially go from city to city, seeking to establish and strengthen new churches for your glory. God, may Redemption Church reflect that same heart for the gospel. May we not be content just to make an impact in one place, Lower Borough, but God, would you send us from city to city to spread the gospel? God, would you strengthen the partnerships that we have with people around the globe as we send a team to Juarez in, in a couple of months? God, would you continue to strengthen those relationships? I think of our brothers and sisters there. I think of Pastor Jorge Ramirez. I think of Pastor Mario. And I think of the, the ministry of El Comador there in Juarez that several of us from Redemption Church have, have seen firsthand. These are our brothers and sisters. And like Paul wanted to, to see that the faith of the Thessalonians was strong, God, we want to see with our own eyes that the faith of our, our brothers and sisters is is increasing. And so God, would you send us out? Would you send a team to represent Redemption Church? God, as we think about this opportunity in Sarver, would you do in, in like fashion, would you do what you did through Paul? Would you establish new churches through us? And may those churches strengthen one another 
and spread the gospel so that those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior might come to know him through the ministry of your word. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to give us some, some, some guidelines, some things to think about in terms of, of building gospel partnerships, gospel relationships. You, you know from, from previous weeks that what we're looking at here is a letter. First Thessalonians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Thessalonica where he had somewhat recently, within, within the last year or two, planted a new church but did not get to stay there very long because there was such strong persecution breaking out against the church while he was there that they literally had to sneak him out of town and get him out of there uh, because his life was in danger. So he, he goes in and he very quickly establishes relationship through the gospel and he builds builds what I assume is significant friendship and significant love and concern for this group of people in Thessalonica. And then he has to leave. And being, being really called out by God to go to the next place to share the gospel and to plant more churches, he does not forget about the Thessalonians. His mind, his thoughts, his heart is, are, are, are with them. And he, he wants to know how they are doing. And so the part that we're going to get into in Paul's letters is his response to that is he actually sends his co-worker, Timothy, to go and to see how the Thessalonians are doing. And Paul is aware of a reality, which is the first thing that you'll see on your handout if you choose to to take notes and follow along today, the first thing you see on your handout is this. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's a saying we often say. Well, I don't know if we often say it. Hopefully you don't often say that. Hopefully you don't walk around saying that all the time. <laughs> but you've heard that. You know what it means. Absence may make the heart grow fonder, but presence makes the heart grow stronger. Paul is aware of this reality. He, 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 said, he even says so much. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But he, the abs, his absence from the Thessalonian believers has not caused him to forget about them. It's actually increased his concern. That's the idea of absence makes the heart grow fonder. That even when we're not present with somebody that we love and that we care about, that, we don't, that our feelings don't dissipate, those feelings, in a sense, can, can, can actually grow in, in that absence. But there's something that is accomplished through being present with those same people that is perhaps more important than being fond of them, and that is the strengthening of one another. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, but presence makes the heart grow stronger. Let's look back at verse 17. In verse 17, Paul said, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. He plants this church. He develops deep relationships. If you've ever, if you've ever, well, you don't even have to, it doesn't even have to be a mission trip, but if you've ever been on a mission trip, where you went and you served alongside of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And just for a few short days, you, you got to experience their life, their world, what it's like for them. 
then, then you've probably experienced what Paul is going through here. You come back, but you keep thinking about them. They remain a part of your heart. They remain a part of, of your relational network in a significant way. And he says, we were forced to leave you in person, but not in heart. The Thessalonian believers were now a part of Paul's life. And he wanted, he wanted not only to know that they were doing well, but he greatly desired and made every effort to return so that he could see them face to face. I'm not going to be going on the, the Juarez trip in June. Uh, and that's because of some scheduling things. Pastor Marty and, and Pastor Greg are going to lead uh, our team on that trip. But as soon as we started talking about it, I was like, oh, man, I wish I could go. Greg's talking about going and seeing Pastor Jorge. I've known Pastor Jorge for 20 years now. And uh, he's, he's just one of those guys that I just look up to and respect so much. And, and he's, he's been a part of my life in and out because of the distance in and out over the past 20 years. And I love this man and I love his family. I love his wife. And uh, he has three children that are similar in about the same age bracket as myself. And um, they're just wonderful people. And when we start talking about Juarez and we start talking about Pastor Jorge, that, my heart is like, I want to I wanna go. I want to be there. Pastor Mario, uh, one of the, the pastors that our team will be working closely with on this, this trip, um, this man made an incredible impact uh, on my life. Probably, I don't know, Greg and I went down there five, six, seven, who knows, two, time, who knows when things happened. But this guy, man, just seeing the way he lived his life for the gospel, just seeing the, the, his willingness to serve in the hardest of places. This is what Paul's talking about. He met these people. They weren't just names. They were faces. They were people that he had relationship with. And though he's apart, he desires to be with them. And the important thing to note here is that that desire is part of God's plan for strengthening his church. I want to encourage you, if you've not gone on a short-term mission trip and that doesn't have to be out of the country that could be in the country in fact um, we're working hopefully on an opportunity this summer for our youth to go uh, on a mission trip within our country here this summer um, we're still working out some details to see if that's going to come together or not uh, but there's opportunities to go on mission trips in, within the country if, if leaving the country is not something that appeals to you but I want to encourage you to to stretch yourself, to be open to building relationships with other believers in another geographic location, ideally cross-culturally, ideally go somewhere that their, their lives are radically different than yours because there's just something, there, there's something about in God's body, in Christ's body, the believers from different places coming together and, and encouraging and strengthening one another. And that's what Paul is desiring to do. He wants to see them face to face. He wants to invest in them. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to not only know that they 
are doing well, but he wants to be a part of helping them to do well. That's what's one of the beautiful things about mission trips is the mutual encouragement. And it goes both ways. It's not, it's, it's not we're going to, to bless and encourage them or it's not we're going to be blessed and encouraged by them. It's both. It goes both ways. That's the way the body of Christ works. And that can only be accomplished through presence. I'm not saying you can't have a significant impact on somebody without being present, presently or being, uh, being right there present with them. But there's some, there are some things that only happen through presence. And so we, and that's one of the things that's been killing me through COVID, is that we haven't been going on mission trips. And this, that's one of the things that we really want to value as a church is presence in the lives of other believers in different places around the globe. The next thing you, you see on the handout that, that we need to be aware of as we think about building these types of relationships with other believers is this. We have an enemy who is desperate to hinder our ministry. We have an enemy who is desperate to hinder our ministry. We don't, you know, there's a spectrum Amongst Christians and amongst churches, there's a spectrum of how much you think about, talk about, and a focus on the spiritual realities of our world. What I mean by that is the world that we live in is not just physical, it's spiritual. And because it's spiritual, there are spiritual realities. There are, according to the Word of God and according to experience, there are actually spiritual beings. There are beings that we don't physically see, but that exist in the spiritual part of this world. And some churches uh, focus on that all the time. You can't go to a church service without hearing them talk about Satan and something that Satan is doing. And other churches never talk about that. You wouldn't even know that Satan exists. And so there's this spectrum, but Wherever you fall personally as a believer on that spectrum and wherever we fall as a church, the reality is we do have a spiritual enemy. And that enemy desires to hinder the ministry that we are seeking to accomplish. Whether you like it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. There's a war going on. Paul says, we wanted to come to you even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. If Satan was able to hinder Paul, pretty good chance he's able to hinder us. <laughs> if Satan was able to keep Paul from accomplishing what, what God, what, or, or, or what was on his heart, then, then we need to be aware of this reality that we have an enemy who not just wants to, but is desperate to stop gospel ministry from happening. Now, Satan is not to be feared. Satan is, it's not good to obsess over, over this part of our reality. But it is good to be aware. It's good to be aware of how he works 
and what that might look like in our lives. C.S. Lewis says, going back to that spectrum, C.S. Lewis says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And I would suggest that we keep a healthy tension of awareness, but not fixation. Because God doesn't call us to fixation. He doesn't call us to obsess over what's going on in the spiritual world. He calls us to obedience. He calls us to do to do what he has called us to do, to carry out the mission of taking the gospel into the nations and making disciples and strengthening the body of Christ. He calls us to presence in the lives of other believers. For the past two years, we've not been able to go on mission trips. Maybe that was Satan's way of hindering gospel ministry. We don't know, and we don't even need to speculate. All we need to know is that it didn't happen And now God is opening those doors again. So we need to go and be obedient. We have an enemy. Be aware of that. Be aware of, of, as the Bible says, his schemes and how he might work in our lives to tempt us. We'll talk a little bit about that again on the last point. So I don't want to belabor it here. Uh, But there is a book I put out on the bookshelf. There's several copies of it. Uh, I think it's called Satan, a Defeated Foe or something like that. It's a, it's a reprint of Charles Spurgeon's book, um, one of Charles Spurgeon's book on our enemy. And uh, I think it's a healthy and balanced approach to how Christians today ought to, to, to look at these things. And so if you're interested in that, uh, it's for free. It's on the bookshelf back there. You can grab a copy of that on your way out today. Let's talk about a couple more things here. When it comes to to how we should approach and view gospel partnerships and relationships, the next thing you'll see on the handout is this, that people, not things, are our glory and joy. People, not things, are our glory and joy. As, as, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I just attended a church without being in leadership. And so I speak from a perspective of being a leader uh, in in the church. Um, But I also uh, imagine that many of you fall into these same traps. There isn't a lore. There's an appeal to to building something significant. There's there there is an attraction to numbers. There's an attraction to to seeing an increase and 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 what the old timers would say, nickels and noses. <laughs> There's an attraction to seeing more people come to the thing that you're a part of. There's an attraction to seeing growth in that sense. Well, when, regardless of whether or not we're seeing growth, the, the Bible brings us back to what we should really be focusing on. And it's, it's, it's not the growth of some personal kingdom. It's not the growth of a, of a particular church. It's the growth of the people that God has created in his image to, to walk and to live with him, to be with him in eternity. Our focus is not on programs. It's on people. Our focus is not on buildings. It's on people. 
Our focus is is not on success as one man might define it amongst other men. Our, Our focus is on the people that God has called us, all of us, to minister to. Paul says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. This is how Paul speaks of the Thessalonians. You are our glory and joy. Now, glory is a word that we don't we don't use a ton outside of, uh, I think, you know, talking about Scripture. It's probably the most often outside of Scripture that we talk about glory might be in sports. You know, the glory of winning a championship or the glory of, of setting records and being successful. But we don't think about glory in a lot. Um, so that's kind of an odd phrase. In fact, one of the modern translations actually translated it pride and joy. Because that's something that I think we get. You are our pride and joy. You are, you are our accomplishments. You are what we boast in. He says that who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming. What Paul is saying is that when he stands before Jesus, he's going to boast. He's going to, he's going to draw Jesus' attention to the faith of the Thessalonians. Jesus, you, you gotta see this. You gotta see these people. You need to know, you need to know their story. Of course, he already does. But he's he's boasting about what Jesus has actually done through him. And what he's boasting about is not, we built this church. Or we had this new building project, or you should you should see the programs that we had going. He says, no. We boast about the people. People. People are our hope. People are our joy. People are our crown of boasting in the presence of the Lord at his coming. When you stand before Jesus, if he were to ask you the question, and I'm not saying this will happen, I don't know if it will, I don't know what that will look like. But if he were to ask you the question, who did you lead to the gospel? Whose faith did you strengthen? Who did you invest in? Who did you build up in the gospel? Whose whose faith in me did you help develop? When Jesus asked Paul that, he knows who he's pointing to, the Thessalonians. And he had a lot of other people. Paul was a very productive Christian. Most of us, none of us are going to see that type of accomplishment that Paul did. But all of us are called to the same type of work. That we, by God's grace, will be used by him to build up others in the faith. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't care if you get your dream house. Let me, I'm not saying he doesn't, I I did say he doesn't care, but it's not that he doesn't care. It's that he's not, 
as concerned with if you get your dream house or you get to, to accomplish, you know, some worldly thing with your life. He wants you to invest in people. He wants you to make other people's lives different in a good way for the gospel. He wants to use you to make disciples. That's ultimately what it comes down to. He wants your life to count for that. And so stop just for a moment and ask yourself, so far, how are you doing? So far, have you done that? I hope you have. I'm not, I'm not assuming the answer is no. I hope you have. And I hope that you will even more. But if you haven't, let's go. Let's do something that, that encourages other people to walk with Christ. Let's make an impact. Let's go to Sarver, but let's not stop there. Let's go to Juarez, but let's not stop there. Let's go. Let's literally go and make an impact on somebody else's life. Sometimes it's as simple as presence. Small groups, we do, excuse me. We do small groups here. Small groups don't fit into everybody's schedule. Small groups are not a one-size-fits-all. There are lots of people that have legitimate reasons for why they can't participate in small groups. Um, But if you don't have a legitimate reason why you can't participate in a small group, let me encourage you. Small groups are a great place to start. Small groups are a great place to start because through presence... God strengthens the believers around you. That's, that's exceedingly true in the small group that I'm a part of right now. Our, our, just the simple act. If there's no, this isn't rocket science. This isn't complicated. It's, it's such a simple recipe. We get together once a week. We fellowship together. We get into the word together. And we pray together. Oh, and we eat together. That's important. Don't, don't forget that one. That's it. And through that, through that ridiculously simple recipe, God is strengthening the people in that group. And I know that's true of every one of our small groups. So, you know, start there. If you don't know where to start, if you're like, I don't know how to strengthen somebody else or do this type of work, start there. Because people matter. People matter. Whatever, whatever else that you're going to do this week, make sure that you make time to invest in other people spiritually. That does not mean you have to preach a sermon. That doesn't mean you have to teach a class. It can be as simple as showing up and being a part of somebody else's life so that God can do the work that he does when we gather together. We're running out of time and I've got two more, so let me move quickly. We are called to be, this is the next thing on the handout, we are called to be effective, not protective. We are called to be effective, not protective. What I mean by that, well, let's look at the, no, let me explain it first. What I mean by that, when I say we're called to be effective, not protective, as, as, as a church, we can get real protective of what we have. We can say, and I'm not saying everybody here feels this way, but we can say, hey, I really like what we have right now. Let's protect it. Let's not let anything happen to it. Let's not let in anybody that might shake that up or change that or threaten what we have. Let's not let anybody out 
that is going to, to take away from what we have now. We get protective. Churches are better at this than any other institution in the world. Are they not? You walk, go to a hundred churches and you, you will find 99 of them that look like, they looked like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's because this protective mindset. Let's not let anything change. Why do we do this? Because we've always done it. Well, no, everybody hates it, but we've always done it. <laughs> why, why do we do this this way? Or why do we do that that way? That's just what we do here. We're protective. And if you try to shake things up and you try to do something different, people, people get nervous. And they don't like that. But we're not called to be protective. We're not called to be some preservation society of silver saints we're called to be on the front lines of this spiritual battle taking the gospel to people who if they don't put their faith in jesus christ are going to die and spend eternity in hell we need to be effective doesn't that matter doesn't, doesn't it stand to reason that we can't afford to be protective when there's so much work that needs to be done outside of these four walls? Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. So that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Paul leaves Thessalonians. He hits a couple other stops. He ends up in Athens. And Athens turns out to be a pretty good place to hang out for a while. Nobody, they're not actively trying to kill him. He doesn't have to sneak out of the city. It's, it becomes a, a hub from which he can do ministry. Now he's going to start cranking out some letters. He's going to start reaching out to the, the churches that, that are in his wake that he has planted. And he's going to, he's going to take this reprieve and he's, he's going to build the church there. And he's going to strengthen the, the church in other places. He's got a good thing going. He's got his brothers with him. Timothy, one of them. He likes Timothy. He likes Timothy a lot. He, he does ministry with Timothy for a, a long time, and he pours his life into Timothy. If it's up to Paul, and what happens to other people doesn't matter, Timothy's going to stay right there with Paul. But Paul says, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy. He sends somebody very valuable to him. He sends a brother that he would prefer to, to remain together with, he sends him away. He does not protect what he has. He cares more about being effective for the gospel. Sometimes we have to, we have to be, we have to hold what we have in an open hand. This is one of the reasons why I thought this is really appropriate as we start thinking about Sarver. We don't want to get protective I like the people that are here. Admittedly, not all of you, but I like, I like a lot of the people that are, I'm just kidding. I can't think of anybody here I don't like. I like the people that are here. I like our staff. I like our ministry leaders. This is a dream come true. This is like, this is awesome. 
I, I pinch myself in the morning sometimes like, is this really my life? Is this really what I get to do? I don't want anybody to leave. But I don't want to be protective. I want to be effective. If it means we got to send out some good people. If it means we got to send out some people we really like doing ministry with. If we got to send out some people we really like having in our small group. If we got to send out some people that we really like leading our ministries to be effective for the gospel. Let's do that. You with me on that? I need you to be. I need you to be with me on that. I need, I need all of us to buy into this idea that we're not called to be protective. We're not called to keep things the same. We're called to be effective for the gospel. One more. This one's so important. It's already come up in Thessalonians, and I'm so glad it comes up again. Let me just read it, and then we'll talk about it. The last thing on your handout is this. Don't be surprised, and don't shrink back when the tempter comes tempting. Don't be surprised, and don't shrink back when the tempter comes tempting. We've already mentioned that we have an enemy who desperately wants to hinder our ministry. Let me show you in chapter 3, verse 4, where this comes up again. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, him being Timothy, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. There's, you remember Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed, and he's throwing, he's, he's, he's sowing his seed. He's throwing his seed, and it falls on four different types of ground. And one of the grounds, um, the, 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 the spiritual principle is basically that the seed does not get down into good fertile soil, and that the enemy comes and snatches the seed before it can take root. And that's a metaphor for Satan. People hear the gospel. But Satan comes in and he, he causes them very quickly to turn away from the message of the gospel and to not respond in a way that will eventually bear fruit. Paul's saying, that's what I was afraid happened to you. I was, afraid, I was literally afraid that we had come in, we had preached the gospel, but Satan, crafty as he is, may have come in and through persecution and through whatever else, what other means that he may have employed in Thessalonica, he may have tempted you and that our labor among you was for nothing. Don't be surprised. And most importantly, don't shrink back when the tempter comes tempting. I have hung on these words over the past week. I cannot tell you. In fact, I, I should have. I should have reached out to the church body and asked for prayer. I cannot tell you the ways in which Satan has attempted to hinder, attack, tempt, whatever, my family over the past few weeks. In fact, I need your prayers. I need your prayers. I am also utterly convinced that that's because we are on the verge of taking another step for the gospel of Jesus Christ to take root in more people. Redemption Church is stepping out and we're saying, we're not, we're not gonna protect what we have, we're gonna give some of it away so that more people might hear the gospel 
Satan hates that. And he is completely unscrupulous in what he's willing to do. And again, there's a spectrum on how much we... I don't talk like this often, but Satan has gone after every member of my family over the past two weeks. Every member. In unscrupulous ways. What do we do when that happens? We shouldn't be surprised. And most importantly, we don't shrink back. What you might be tempted to do and what I might be tempted to do is to say, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Maybe if I just back off, I'll be left alone. Maybe, maybe not also. But if you do that, the consequence of that and what you lose and what you give up is far greater than what you have to gain. That's why James encourages the church. In James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, this is how he tells Christians to respond when they're facing spiritual attack. He says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't flee from the devil because he's resisting you. You resist him and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What's the key to, to, to res- how should we respond when Satan attacks? Resist him. Don't give in to his t- temptations. Don't, don't give in to the doubts or the fears, but resist him. Humbly resist him. He will flee and draw near to God, God will not flee. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, he goes on to say, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's the Lord who fights our battles for us. We're supposed to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before God. Draw near to him and resist the devil. Don't be surprised and don't shrink back when Satan comes after some of you also. Because he will. Some of you are already thinking, I'm going to Sarver. Whatever we're doing there, I'm going to be a part of it. Because that's the Lord's just working in your life in that way. You should expect and don't be surprised that Satan will try to hinder that. But resist him. Don't be surprised and don't shrink back.